I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And I'm Dawn Ennis. And you are in the Transporter Room on an important and special day for the both of us and many of us. Today is March 31st. It is Trans Day of Visibility. Woo! I see you. I see you, Carly. And I see you. And I saw you at the very beginning. And because of you, I'm here now. And I am grateful. And because of so many others who stood out and stepped out and spoke out, we are here doing this. Speaking out is more important than ever, Dawn, because it seems like the, the hits just keep coming, don't they? Well, as I Arkansas. wrote Arkansas sports, yeah, Tennessee. Arkansas, Tennessee, following Mississippi's lead and following Idaho's lead. Oh, it almost seems like there's an organization that's copy pasting these bills across the country. Isn't it interesting? We are now at 29 states where these bills have either been proposed, debated, or passed. Remember John F. Kennedy's opening words in the, 19, in the first 19, presidential debate of 1960 with, with uh, Richard Nixon, where he said Abraham Lincoln talked about this, that no country can exist half slave, half free. And this is and this is many ways where we are right now. We are building a country that's going to be half open and inclusive, mm -hmm. half oppressive, half turf. I uh, and uh, I read the I read the bills. I actually, you know, I to to be a reporter means you have to do your homework. And I read the bills from beginning to end, and I was managing my emotions okay. But to, to see the, just the transphobia, the hatred, the fear, the ignorance. One of the bills, Arkansas, quotes the Lundberg study, uh, Tommy Lundberg. Um, another bill says that if a uh, person wants to uh, participate in sports, they have to present an original birth certificate. And if the original has been amended or changed, they have to provide evidence of what their birth sex was to be able to play sports. I mean. Do we really want our schools to be in charge of looking inside my kids' pants? Come on. No, we don't. Don, this this goes back to fugitive slave laws in the in the 19th century. You have to prove who your owner was. That's the type that's what this feels like to me. Don, I'll admit it, I'm struggling in some ways when I read this because it makes me wonder, when do I get to be am I even considered human to these people? That's the that's the biggest question that just hits me. And I like what you wrote in Out Sports after the bill after the Arkansas bill was signed. When you talk when you talk about how they don't mention the word transgender in any of these bills. Nope. None nope. at all. It's uh that's the one thing that really bothers me the most, Don, is is con consistently my humanity is completely cast aside. I read these things like it's trans athletes versus women. Sounds mm. like Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> That's what this this sounds like a bad monster movie, a poster for a bad monster movie. These people cannot use the term transgender and cisgender. They can't use the simple descriptors. They have they have to put this in very oppressive 
and very antagonistic terms, and they have to dehumanize biological males. By the way, a certain group who claims to want a middle ground does the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I know, and we've talked about this. Here's the thing, though. I borrowed a page from your playbook when I wrote my headline for the story on Monday about Tennessee and Arkansas. These states are trying to ban women and girls from sports, period. Because girls who are trans are girls. Mm-hmm. Trans women are women. So exactly. the, law, the law that they're passing in these states is banning girls and women. And we need to change the perspective and the conversation so that we start with, no, I'm sorry, trans girls are girls, trans women are women. Otherwise, t- speak to the hand. Don't talk to me. Yes. I, and, and meanwhile, there, there is a different person that, that many of these governors like Tate Reeves and Bill Lee and Asa Hutchinson are going to be speaking to. There's a, there's a certain person in New York you will, if you don't know him, you'll be meeting him pretty quick because he's already told you. Chase Drangio, big, bold, capital letters on Twitter, we will see you in court. Right. Don't come for trans youth. We're, we're, we're ready. We're going to see you in court. And I and love Chase and Chase is a dad and Chase is a trans man and Chase is a crusader and an advocate. And one of the things that we did in um, Outsports this week before today is create the Triumph Awards. And I'm so proud that today we have our final Triumph Award for Pioneer Fallon Fox. But we also honored Raquel Willis, who is working with Chase to be a crusader along with Jennifer Levy, another trans person. We also have the trans wrestlers like Nyla Rose and so many more. We have journalists like Caitlin Burns, trans athletes like you wrote wrote about Tiffany Abreu. And of course the trans student athletes like Quill. These are stories of inspiration. We need these stories right now. Yes, and I, for example, in the case of Tiffany, Tiffany Abreu was in a fight like this just as, just before the start of this past season when the state legislature in Sao Paulo State had some people who tried to pass a ban, who tried to pass a ban on her specifically playing in a game. This was targeted at her. That someone who is, quote-unquote, the Bill Reed, someone who is, quote-unquote, biologically male, cannot play in a in a sporting event in Sao Paulo State. Now, now this flies in the face of, one, IOC policy, two, International Volleyball Federation policy, and number three, in, in Confederação Brasileira Volley policy, because they're a member of FIVB. They follow these policies. She's been in that. She's been directly in that fight. I look at all these pioneers and trailblazers. I say thank you. One of those triumph winners that I really salute, Caitlin Burns, I salute her for slugging it out on Capitol Hill as a reporter, often being that lone trans voice as as a fellow journalist to a journalist who rocks, I salute you. And that's one of the things we need. We have a lot of voices who are in those positions speaking out, but cis allies, where you at? And that's not saying that cis allies aren't there because 
I look at Megan Rapino, speaking truth to power, speaking truth to power right there in the warhead, telling a Republican representative where to go, I might add. Yeah. And, and she mentioned trans uh, there, kids too in her testimony. Yes. yes and I, I look at those things, but we need more of it. It's good that, for example, it's good that now mainstream media is starting to understand you have a story here. That mainstream big journalism is getting in there and talking about it. One of those people is a cisgender lesbian married to a woman at NBC Nightly News, Stephanie Gosk, a friend and former colleague. And what I love about Stephanie is when she did her report, yeah, of course, they have to do both sides. Corners of the new law in Arkansas say banning transgender athletes from sports levels the playing field. A man's belief or feelings about his gender does not erase his biological... But she mm -hmm. pushed back. She pushed back. And she said, but is it really dismantling sports to have transgender women and girls competing? Is it really dismantling you transphobe? It's not a total dismantling. Yes, it can be. And that is why the law is incredibly important. And then Stephanie wraps it up with this wonderful quote. Supporters of transgender rights have another word for it. Discrimination. That's what it is. Call it like it is. Mm -hmm. And you know who's another bunch of yes, it is. You know who's another a, a group of uh, cisgender allies? The Sports Equality Foundation. Mostly guys, a lot of high school and college uh, uh, male athletes, gay, bisexual, pan, non-binary. And there are women like me there too. And they are so invested in trans day of visibility, in trans rights, in inclusion. And that's the kind of thing that I think we need more of. We will win when the trans community isn't the only one speaking out, when the trans community gets to stand back and say, oh, let the cisgender person explain it to you. <laughs> Well, but you see, that's one thing. That's one thing I like. I like that young athletes are talking about this and young athletes are doing it. Look at the, the more than 500 who told the NCAA, who told the NCAA as student athletes, we feel that stop rewarding these states that are being discriminatory with NCAA championships. Stop, stop rewarding them with the right to host these events. We can go elsewhere. I'm seeing, I'm also seeing a lot of pushback. I'm already seeing pushback from cyclists right now. This is a developing situation. The The next World Cyclocross Championship, UCI World Cyclocross Championship, will be in, is set for Fayetteville, Arkansas next year. A number, of top, a number of top cyclocross athletes have already said, if you keep it in Arkansas, we're not coming. And that's abroad and in the United States. There is a growing movement to get the UCI to reconsider having them in Fayetteville. And this is an so people are already too. talking. Absolutely. This is an intersectional fight. The fight is not just in Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, Idaho, but it's also in Georgia, where the right to vote is being rolled back, is being restricted. They're putting handcuffs on people who are just trying to do what every American should do. We shouldn't be making, Senator Warnock said, we shouldn't be making it harder to vote. President Biden said we shouldn't be restricting people from getting water and food. It's illegal to give somebody water at a polling site. And and that's an example of what I was talking about on the day of his inauguration. That's an example using the bully pulpit. And it was good to hear President Biden say that, not just say not just say the official statement, but say but Joe being Joe Biden 
and just saying this is malarkey. This is this is not right. Joe Biden saying it his way. Now, Mr. President, I'd like you to talk about these bills too while you're at it, because you you said it yourself. Transgender rights are the civil rights issue of our time. Joe, I need that bu- Joe, I need that bully pulpit. I I need that bully pulpit. These young kids need it, especially these young kids need it. And these dragon dad and these dragon dads and these mama bears, they need it because they're fighting the fight every day for their child. We need that bully pulpit, sir. Please, sir, speak out on this. And I give him credit, day one, executive order. And since then, he's also rolled back other anti-LGBT Trump activities. And I'm very proud to have voted for Joe Biden. But I gotta say, you can't stop. We gotta end the filibuster. We have to pass the Equality Act in the Senate. We have to get it to the president's desk. And Carly, today more than anything, you and I need to send a message to everyone listening to us. If you're transgender and you're not out, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to be visible today. You have to be visible, and I'm pointing to my head, in between your ears. You have to be acknowledging your own self. There were many years where I couldn't be my true self. And Carly, I'm sure you're the same way. Oh, not, yes. I, yeah, I knew what it was like. Don't, we both don't, don't, yeah. Yeah. We both were there. I, I don't and we both feel, were there. Yeah. I don't want people to feel as if, oh, I have to be coming out today or visible today or a national coming out that you have to come out. No. If anything, wait until you can't live any other way. Until you're ready to live this life all the time, full time, no going back. And I just want you to know you're loved. And even if you're not physically seen, we see you. We see you. We do. But to those of you who want to merge out, but you can't because you believe, am I alone? Let me tell you right now, you are not alone. There's a whole community out here. And if there's one thing that I've learned, learned in my own journey, and and one of those people I'm sharing a podcast with right now is that we take care of our own. We do. We, we do. take care of our own. And I am grateful for the ways that Dawn has helped me over the years. And I'm also grateful again for Dawn's example. Well, wait because, a minute. Yeah. You know, Caitlin Burns told me when I mentioned to her that uh, by by the way, I'm sure you would agree with this. Um, we'd love to have the Cancel Me Daddy uh, podcast co-hosts, Caitlin Burns and Oliver Ash Klein. I'm hoping I pronounced their last name correctly. Mm-hmm. As our guests, as a cross post kind of thing. And Caitlin said, oh, yes. Yeah, so I listen. Uh, uh, Carly uh, makes you look good. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, stop it. it says you make I appreciate it. I appreciate that, Kate. Checks in the mail. But no, Don, no, and, and that's one thing I do want to, that's something I do want to talk about for a minute is even though it's true, being that it's true, you don't have to be invisible. If you don't feel safe to come out, don't. There's nothing saying you're vis- that, that as long, but just know no matter where you're at in your journey, we do see you. But I am going to take a quick minute uh, to talk about 
the the rewards that there are in being out there and being visible. And because it was something my mentor and you know who I'm going to you know whose name I'm going to speak right now is Janice Booth. Rest in peace. A a, a great activist where we live in Connecticut and a very powerful advocate and activist taken from us four years ago. And she always said, we have to be out in the world to let people know that we're in the world. And, and I always carried those words. And another example I carried, even with the ups and downs that you went through, Don, because you persevered, I'm sitting here now because you persevered and because so many others persevered because of Monica Roberts doing what she did. And we would be remiss not to speak her name today. Absolutely. And and I look at you two and I look at so many others who came long before I did, who came into the truth long before I did. And they fought and they suffered a lot of the slings and arrows. To me, if I have to take a few slings and arrows, I just see it as in many ways, it's just my turn. Well, it's, it's not my a, turn. It's not a contest. We all suffer those slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. <laughs> yes. May I, say, may I just say, one of my memories of Janice, besides going to the Connecticut Outreach Society, was at her memorial service, at her wake, when all of us gathered to look upon the mortal remains of our Janice. And someone said, somebody said, how on earth did they get Janice in that little box? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something Janice would actually say. And that's what, exactly, exactly. What everyone did was they, it broke the ice, everyone laughed and we all felt so much happier because Janice herself would say, how could it get me into that little box? She has such a great self-deprecating sense of humor. Just such a leader in our community, Monica too, and you know I'm just I'm I, I'm I'm sad that we don't have those uh, icons with us today. So we have to do twice the work in their place. No, we just yes, we just keep moving it on. We just keep passing that torch on, and we keep. And there's a whole generation, especially these young people. That's what gives me hope, is seeing these these young people, these young. I mean, especially kids in high school and in college right now who have changed the landscape in many ways, who are now ste- who are stepping into the fight and stepping in as their full selves. For me, that is what inspires me and pushes me on. And because in many ways it was, as, at the beginning of my own process also, it was a little kid who, stu- who stood up and looked in and looked the looked up and looked the governor of Connecticut in the eyes and said, I'm a young trans boy and I go to school. What are you going to do to keep my school safe for me? Wow. Who's your cisgender ally person? Who do you look to? I mentioned the sports equality guys and and the women. And um, I want to also just shout out to Sid Ziegler, probably the best, strongest cisgender ally I know. These are people who help me be visible on trans day visibility who's yours for starters the for starters this great group at out sports i do want to talk i do want to talk gotta talk about them for a quick minute and i said and jim and brian kenny hey, schultz shout out to brian brian came out as non-binary this week oh see now that i didn't know 
Congratulations, Brian. <laughs> but I look at the crew that we have at Outsports, and I look at the fact that I also would be remiss not to include Alex in that because I look at this team that we have, and I look at a lot of people who are willing to learn, and that's the biggest thing. As far as the cisgender person, I want to throw out a name of someone in my life who knew me from my first COS meeting, since you mentioned the Connecticut Outreach Society. Um, I call her my big sister. Uh, her, she is a wonderful cis woman named Asa Paradise. Asa, uh, Asa was at the first COS meeting that I ever attended, and that was about that was almost a decade ago. Wow. We've been friends ever since, but more so, not only as a friend, but she's been a sister to me. She's been such a support so in so many times, so many ups and downs. And there is a value, cis, cis people out there, there is a value to real allyship. There is a value to it. And it takes work and it, ta and it takes building trust. It takes work. You don't, you don't name yourself an ally. You earn it by your actions. Asa truly has, and not just for me, but for all of our local trans, our local trans community in many ways. She's one of those people that's willing. She's willing to put her face in the fan. She's willing to. She's the type of person who's willing to say, um, "Back up, back up, Carly. I got this transphobe. I got this one." And she says, "Look, look, cisgender person. I need to minister to you right now." And let's That's also the type of person yeah. she is. Let's include Jim Bazinski, our last guest of 2020. Someone who single-handedly carries on his shoulders the incredible weight of all the coming out athletes, all the being out athletes. These stories that inspire and put out sports on the map. And he himself will admit he's learning about non-binary folks and wanting to uh, raise up trans voices. I, I can't say enough about Jim. And what it means to me to know that this towering man is really a big softy. He's, he's, he's got a heart of gold. Um, between Jim and Sid and Alex, I think we have a great leadership team with Ken and Brian and you and Shelby. Shout out to Shelby who made all the beautiful Triumph Award art. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's another cisgender woman who is always feeding us stories. She is like our, our, our lighthouse pointing out the stories that if you see a story in Outsports, I'll bet you four out of five of those stories are th something that she found and pitched to us. Yes. I mean, that, but like I said, but that is why I see Outsports as, yes, we're going to bust our arms for a minute, patting ourselves on the back. I see this in many ways as a, as a source of record in talking about these issues because we've been, I mean, we talked a few minutes ago about how now mainstream press is starting to actually talk about the, what's going on here. We've been at this from the, from the time that the first bill got introduced. We've been on that. We've been on this. And you and I, we've sat through those ugly committee hearings where you're hearing people being, where, where you hear ourselves being demeaned. And everything is like a, Everything is like a punch in the gut to hear to hear things like biological males over and over and over and over again. To know, however, that you have people who may not be 
who may not be in the community, but they feel that gut punch right with you. And they say, when it's our turn, we will punch back. When it's our turn to speak. And when it is their turn, they do what a Megan Rapino does, which is which is you bring that you bring this issue out into light. You bring it there. No matter what, no matter what the cost, you bring it there. We're on a, a wavelength right now, like ESP. Because I was just thinking, as you were saying the words, the way to define a transgender ally, a cisgender person who is an ally, if you feel the same pain we feel when someone says biological male or misgenders a trans girl or a woman or tries to convince you that there's something unfair about trans athletes, if you feel the same pain and outrage and wanting to correct that person, then you're an ally. If you don't, then you need to work harder. Carly, we've got a great person on the show today. This is the executive director of the Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association. She is, despite her not using the word herself, an amazing transgender ally, author of a piece in Outsports on our fan post page, the trans women are women in sports and literally everything else. And she's a Star Trek fan. She's coming up. Well, I'm looking forward to having her on and we will have her here in a few minutes. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. This is Don Ennis. We're going to take a little break. Got to pay some bills. This is the Transporter Room. We'll be back. And welcome back. You're in the Transporter Room. I'm Don Ennis. Carly Webb is my co-host, and we have a very special guest. Carly, let's set coordinates for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, the city that is home to my heart people leave their hearts in san francisco i left mine in philadelphia beam up erica vanstone energize the executive director of the women's flat track derby association erica vanstone thank you for joining the transporter room thank you for having me great job beaming me also i didn't <laughs> feel it intact <laughs> yeah i didn't feel anything no, no, no two different. Erica's running through. This is good. This is really There's no good. mirror Erica running around. <laughs> there's no Erica. No, there's no Erica yelling terra firma running right. around. Yes. Erica is a Star Trek fan. We're going to get to that. But as we've been discussing, this is an important day for girls like us, the transgender community. And we welcome having a cisgender ally who wrote an amazing fan post on Outsports.com. And you said it all. Trans women are women in sport and literally everything else. What possessed you to write that, Erica? Well, uh, first of all, I'm so honored to be your guest on this day because I think um, our community has really come a long way. The roller derby community has come a long way. And I, I just really wanna say that we still have so far to go. Um, and I think what I think about all the time in trying to be a good ally is that it, it is a practice, right? Like you, like in the same way that you uh, have to constantly work at something to be better at it, I think it is, it is an ongoing practice to be an ally. So, and, and I wouldn't necessarily, um, I'm not someone who likes to call myself an ally because I don't necessarily think that that's something I, like anyone can necessarily call oneself, right? Like, I'm so thrilled that uh, y'all think of me as one. 
and what possessed me to write this piece is that it's um it's been a long journey for the roller derby community over the past year um and in particular we've had a lot of reckoning with the way we've managed conversations around uh racial justice um and gender justice is no different um so it was a it was something that i've been i've actually been working on this particular blog post for probably three months uh, and i was just really trying to figure out the right time to drop it and the right place to drop it because i think um the conversation is so relevant um, i met up with some folks from uh, rugby for all uh, and in october world rugby or actually over the summer and into the fall world rugby had put together some guidelines that essentially eliminated trans women from participating in its competitive pathways oh we're aware yeah so but i kind of came together with this group of um like-minded humans who who said this is total crap why is it that sports are policing uh, continuing to police women's bodies, right? Like we, it's been happening for centuries, but um, this is a place where we really have to draw a line. And one of the things I was thinking about as I was writing this piece and rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it, because every time I would write it, something else would happen. Um, but I really feel like there has been an uptick in the way uh, trans women are discussed uh in the media and in in particular in the united states and states state legislators since the elections because i believe that re uh, republicans or conservatives or whatever you would call them the right wing um definitely feels that this is an easy win for them to try to pass this type of le legislation and it was important for me to step up and say not on my watch as best I could, right? With just the, the moderate amount of influence that I have in sport. And that's something that your organization and your players have definitely done. I want to, actually, I want to take you back. I want to take you back to October, 2019. All right. I want to take you, I want to take you back to actually an article that I wrote that I interviewed you and a lot and a number of roller derby athletes on. It was when um, a certain writer in Britain basically tried to use roller derby as a means to sell transphobia. And the quote from you was, as a human who lives in the United States, I see propaganda masquerading as journalism quite so often. So sadly, this piece was not surprising to me. Talk about, even in that moment, and, and con how continuing, how the roller derby community has really closed ranks and made a statement about who they are as athletes and what roller derby is as a sport in standing in on this issue. Um, that was a great interview, by the way. <laughs> the um, gosh, I it's so hard to put myself back into the Trump administration, right? Because I think we are coming in the United States in particular, and it's important to recognize that uh, the WFTDA is a global uh, organization. So. We unfortunately approach things from a very US centric point a lot of the time. Um, and this, uh, in 2019, October 2019 in particular, we were very much in the thick of the height of the propaganda for the Trump administration. And so I think it, 
the way that his administration was able to manipulate the social and news conversation, it created this sort of um, resistance or this, uh, it's, it wasn't apathy, but it basically created this situation where you were assaulted so often by all of these uh, lies and inequities that it, it just like, you didn't even know where to start. It was like sitting in a boat with a million holes. Where do you start to plug them? So I think we really sat down and kind of started with us. Like we thought about, well, what is, what is it that we can do? What, it, what are the conversations that we can manage? And roller derby I think is incredibly valuable because we are community focused, right? So the community came to us and said, we need your help. We really need to think about how we can have these conversations as a governing body. And I, I also wanna say that individual chapters or clubs that we have around the world have been and are still continuing to struggle with these conversations because while the international governing body um, has stepped forward and, and taken a very hard line or, or said, said that we've taken a hard line, the job of going around to making sure that we collect our people to make sure that they are in line with our values is still ongoing work. So I think it was important for us to figure out how to do that. And I think typically we are an organization that um, knows where we wanna go, but not always how to get there. So we knew that this is like exactly where we wanted to be. We wanted to be in a place of inclusion and it's still a journey that we're taking right now to figure out how to get there. Well, speaking as speaking as a commissioner, where where do you think the blind spots are? Where are the blind spots for roller derby clubs and for the sport right now on these issues? On the ground, these types of issues, uh, the blind spots are the are our chapters often, and our athletes and each individual. Uh, we call them leagues, but they're individual chapters or clubs of our organization. We have over 460 of them around the world. And this represents close to 50,000 athletes, announcers, um, officials, and community members that we are all trying to bring together to have these conversations. So I think capacity has been an issue. Uh, communication has been an issue. We've put out a very... Um, I think we've put out a very progressive code of conduct that we're, we're still trying to figure out how to manage. And what we actually realized is that the code of conduct is great, but like any organization that has to manage people, people still push back against it. So we're actually in the middle of a conversation right now, figuring out how to go from policing all of our sport, right? Because if we're basing our system on uh, any type of police system or oversight, then it's already flawed and racist. Uh, so, and moving from uh, policing leagues to a transformative justice or a transformational model where we're sitting down with leagues and talking about how they can do things differently to make things better and more inclusive for their members. So it, it has been a capacity issue for the most part. Do you feel that roller derby competitors get a bad rap in terms of there are people in this country who in 2021 still expect us to be in the kitchen cooking making a sandwich barefoot and pregnant 
or just basically waiting for some men to sweep us off our feet. And these women, they're sweeping everybody off their feet. That's what I love about roller derby is they're competing as if their very like existence is to get that ball, to get ahead, to bend the reality to their will. And I just think that not enough people really get roller derby. What do you think that is? So what's interesting is that um, we've we've tried to engage with mainstream sports media at a, a bunch of different levels, right? And I, I think about this as an issue to solve all the time. Before I was the executive director, I was the director of broadcast operations. And Carly, that's why I can help you become an announcer. <laughs> but um, like my my primary job was to figure out how to position the sport to liaise with these larger media companies. Um, and our relationship with ESPN was a great example. I don't think mainstream sports and mainstream sports media outlets are ready to have this conversation. And roller derby in our community and the WFTDA forces this conversation just by nature of the way that we are doing things. Um, we had a really productive relationship with ESPN and we were going to have a production go uh, live to ESPN2 for the very first time that they offered to us. And we were incredibly excited. And two weeks before we went to air, they came to us and they said, well, we have some concerns about the names of some of your skaters. And it wasn't anything like uh, curse words or anything like that, which we you know, obviously would have managed and dealt with. It was... Um, in particular, and I hope they don't mind me mentioning this, but Bisexual, which was a skater with um, Victoria in Australia. And we had a really difficult conversation in the venue that resulted in us saying, you know what? We've put a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of energy into making this broadcast amazing so that we could put our sport on ESPN, but maybe they don't deserve us. Maybe they are not ready for this because if that's, if they're asking us to change a name like that, if they feel that that is making them uncomfortable, then their space is not safe for us. And I think that that is typically what we're seeing across most of sports. Sports are not a safe place for women. They are not a safe place online. They are not a safe place in person. And until they are, until there are outlets that are willing to come forward, I actually saw an NBC Sports uh, tweet the other day where they, they put forward a sports broadcast that it was entirely uh, crewed by women and non-binary humans. And I was like, all right, NBC, like those are the, those are the conversations that mainstream media, that mainstream sports haven't been having. And when we did finally um, talk to ESPN, they ultimately ended up putting us to tape. Uh, they cut us down the way they wanted to. And when they did the comments in Twitter to promote the broadcast were about how how sexually desirable I was as an announcer, right? So I think I looked, I stood back from the whole experience and I said, sports aren't safe for us yet. And that was really like overall, that is the experience that I think we have. And that is why, you know, people say all the time, well, why isn't roller derby bigger? Why isn't it a household name? 
And it's because people have not been ready to have these conversations. We had so much with Erica Vanstone today that this needs two parts. So if you want to get the second part, click on to episode 76P. This is The Transporter Room.